Pushkin. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. If your business needs a new application, then developers will have to write code. A lot of code. If an application needs to be modernized, then you'll need time resources, and caffeine. If that sounds daunting, then you need Watson X Code Assistant, AI designed to multiply developer productivity so you can generate code quickly. Let's create a more modern foundation for business with Watson X Code Assistant. Learn more at ibm.com slash codeassistant. IBM, let's create. And sort of what I came to learn was that my life has high highs and low lows, just like everyone's life. Mm. And that just because this horrific thing was taking my mom away from me piece by piece in a very painful way, it doesn't mean I couldn't also find hope and I couldn't use my voice to talk about Alzheimer's and I, that I couldn't be rallying people together to raise money. And it doesn't mean that I can't be creating change. And that from something really horrible, something beautiful has come. And it took me a long time to understand that there was room for that. That was Lauren Miller-Rogan. I'm Sam Fragoso, and this is Talk Easy. Welcome to the show. For the past 10-15 years, Lauren has primarily been working as an actress, but deep down her true ambition is to be a writer, and more specifically, a writer-director. And now she's making her directorial debut with Like Father, premiering on Netflix this Friday, August 3rd. It's about an ambitious woman who is left at the altar, but decides to take her honeymoon anyway with her estranged father. Here's a bit from the trailer. What brings you on the cruise? I was left at the altar a few days ago, and my dad, who I haven't seen since I was five, showed up to my wedding, unannounced. The two of us got incredibly drunk that night, and I must have blacked out because... Hi, sweetheart. Oh, shit. Somehow I dragged him onto this cruise that was supposed to be my honeymoon. Lauren and I recorded this conversation, uh, I think what is now a few weeks ago, and uh, she was just at the tail end of post-production and feeling the high of having completed something she's worked so hard on for a year. And so a lot of the conversation is about the challenge of making movies, especially your first movie. But first, we start with her time at college, where she began, like many other people, figuring out what she was going to do with the rest of her life. So, finally, here is Lauren Miller-Rogan. You know where I want to start is uh, you go to Florida State Mm -hmm. for college. Mm -hmm. That's where you go to film school. Yeah. 
tell me your earliest memory there about uh, you know your love for for movies. Well, it's interesting. I I was always a writer growing up and wrote like little short stories and I um, acted in, you know, little like camp plays and all that stuff, um, but was very focused on art. Um, and I was an artist and I went to an art high school and studied visual arts and actually was on a path to be a fashion designer and went to FIT in New York. And after arriving there, uh, was an extra in a movie uh, about six weeks after arriving and was like, oh, this. This, this is it. I want to be this an extra. I want to be an extra forever. And, um, and God, I've, so, I've never heard anyone say that before. <laughs> um, but so yes, yeah, so I, I realized that fashion wasn't necessarily going to be my path, and that I wanted to go in the direction of of making movies. And after I graduated from there, I wanted to stay in New York and be an actor. And my parents were like, <laughs> "No." And um, what do your parents do? Uh, my mom was a teacher, and my dad was a like a plant manager of a manufacturing company. So jobs. They had jobs. And, you know, we're very passionate about it. My mom especially loved teaching and it really fulfilled her in a great way and was, you know, very passionate about it. So I and my dad, who was really good and skilled at his job, never felt a lot of passion for it. And so both of them really instilled in both my brother and I to seek out careers that would make us happy mm-hmm. and make us, you know, that weren't just jobs for jobs. So my dad was like, What about film school? And I was like, Whoa, crazy, cool people go to film school. But I applied and um, got in and uh, went to Florida State, which uh, admittedly I went to uh, a bit kicking and screaming because I had grown up in Florida and uh-huh. was like, I do not want to go back to Florida. I want to go to NYU and I couldn't afford NYU. My parents were like, but Florida State is a great program. And I was like, but I don't want to be in Florida. And I really was adamant about not going to very, Florida. Felt very st- and couldn't have gone with the worst attitude. And I'm not joking on the first day was like, oh, here I am. <laughs> okay, this is right. And uh, it literally, it, it didn't take more than the first day to be like, these are my people. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. Suddenly I feel like a person. In that time, do you feel like making movies is something that's doable? Yeah, totally. Immediately. It just felt very, it felt real. It felt comfortable. It didn't feel like, you know, obviously there was no like, you know, disillusions about how easy it would be and you know but it felt like I was learning something that I could do and that if I worked hard enough I could do and it I learned it in a way that made sense and was surrounded by people who I knew would be supportive um it always felt real once I was there it was like oh this is what I'm learning and then this is after I graduate this is what I will go do I asked that because um there's a lot of people who go to film school with the idea of making movies, and then once you actually start making a movie, it's a real, it's a pain in the ass. It's really hard. It's really hard. It's really hard. It's like the hardest thing I've ever tried to do. Yeah. Uh, And and I think people get very quickly um, disillusioned with it. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I'm just one of those people who's never really taken no for an answer throughout my whole life and I this is a common theme. I don't do well when someone's like you can't do this and I'm very I was a gymnast growing up so I think ah. it's sort of like brainwashed me a little bit to be like must be perfect must do it you can do it set a goal do it reach it do it and so that person sounds fun yeah I'm just really awesome and a lot of you know great light childhood and um but um but I think it created like a focus in me and just sort of a, whether it's a naive sort of sense of, of purpose or not, it was just sort of like, well, this is what I'm going to do, so I'm going to do it. Right. So you leave college and you start by looking for work as an actress. No, actually, I didn't. Um, at that point, acting had sort of taken a bit of a backseat. And mm. at that point, I certainly always wanted to write and direct, but that felt a little bit further at that point. And I had done a fair amount of producing successfully in school. Um, and so I was, I'm going to go work for a producer and learn from a big producer how this industry works and sort of how to navigate it. So I worked for this producer named Steve Starkey, who is Robert Zemeckis' producing partner. Oh, And they had done, you know, from he started on Back to the Future and was with him and all that stuff. So it was obviously a tremendous opportunity how to learn. How did you learn that? Um, well, I, as, I mean, I, I literally, of my gra- graduating class of 27, I think we were, we, I want to say 16 of us, 14 of us caravaned to Los Angeles together. We had done a short film competition and we were going to win an award for it in Vegas. So we kind of all met in Vegas. 
to get this award. And then we got to L.A. together and stayed at the apartments of the people who had graduated the year before. What age are you here? Uh, 22. 22. Yeah. And um, that was that was less than two weeks after graduation. And then arrived in L.A. on Monday within that week, found an apartment and found two internships. And the following Monday started interning at two different companies. Um, and very quickly, uh, figured out some life here. Yes. Well, I, I instantly had already, I don't know how I found out about the UTA job list, which now it's so large that it's impossible to get a job from it. But at that point, I guess it was still building. So my resume got in there and I was lucky enough to get two internships. And then, and then I met, uh, how did that happen? Oh, oh, a short film of mine (laughs) had played at a Jewish film festival in Florida. Oh. And the woman who ran the festival in Boca. um, Boca Raton? uh, Boca Raton. It was, I made a Jewish film called Happy Holidays. Oh my God. And That's um, the perfect audience for it. It was perfect. And so this woman who ran the festival, her, I want to say it was her daughter's friend, I think uh, this guy, Jordan, who lived in LA and she was like, meet this boy, he's very nice. And we became friends and he worked at Image Movers, which is Zemex's company. And he told me they were looking for a second for Steve and I applied. And luckily my boss that I was interning for had worked with them years ago. So we called and anyway, long story short, got me in there and I was there for three years and was there for the end of Polar Express and Ah. Beowulf and Monster House, all the sort of the birth of motion capture, which was a, obviously very interesting time to be there. So in that time, you're not, uh, are you writing? Yes, so I was writing. Um, Around a year into it, I'd started sort of being like, why aren't I acting still? So I started taking some improv classes and improv for writers classes and um, stuff like that. But I wrote a script while I was there, while I was an assistant. And the director of development um, sent it around to agencies. And that's how I landed an agent. Ah. Yeah. That that worked out. Yeah. I can see it because of, of what you said earlier, which is you're someone who's diligent and like going to keep going at it. Did you face rejection early on there? Oh, yeah. I, big time. Uh, huge. Uh, it, <laughs> well, I don't want to gloss this, over that. Yeah. This industry is certainly, you know, just comes with constant rejection. How do you deal? You said when you f- receive rejection that you're pretty undeterred by it. I mean, it's hard. I don't want to say it like rolls off my back because it doesn't. And don't get me wrong, it sucks. But it's part of this industry. It's, it's part of many industries. But um, but this industry in particular, it's about putting yourself out there. And right. there's no version where you get a yes every time you put yourself out there. It's just it's not reality. And I, I understand that. And it's just sort of, I guess for me, it's believing enough that my work or whatever it is that I'm putting out there is worthwhile and to just keep going and sort of, okay, that person didn't get it. Who will? Where's the person who's going to get it? Yeah. Something about it feels more personal though, the rejection as opposed to, you know, like my mother's a lawyer. And so if she didn't get into a certain law firm, Mm -hmm. it feels one, uh, gender based. I mean, a lot of women lawyers were rejected for years. Yeah. Something about acting, though, mm-hmm. or, or writing, but especially acting, mm-hmm. is like, do you like me as a human on the screen? Right. And then they're like, no, we don't. Right. <laughs> like, we don't like your face. Yeah. <laughs> we don't like anything about your personality. Now, you know, I think that I'm really... <laughs> I don't want to go that far. <laughs> I know. I think I'm a little bit fortunate in that in film school, I cast actors for my projects. And understood a little bit whether I realized it or not that it often doesn't have anything to do with the person Mm. it's what the director is looking for and what is right for the role and I really do understand that I think that the frustrating parts are it's rare when it's like oh I'm perfect for that and there have been a few of those and those no's are painful and I still hold on to them today but honestly that's it's so rare because I think there are you know the things that you're really right for, especially a role, there are specific actors who will bring that role to life in a way that it deserves to versus, you know, someone that isn't quite right for it. Yeah. Walk me through, uh, once you leave the company, mm-hmm. what are your days like at that point? So you're uh, in Los Angeles, in the you're last, like three years settled in. Yeah. In the last year, um, I had sort of started to be like, okay, what's happening here? I got an agent that I was essentially doing nothing with. And so I saved up a fair amount of money that could help me live for 
was like six to eight months that I yeah. could live on. So I eventually was like, okay, I'm just going to, I'm going to do it. I'm going to quit. And so I quit. And at that point I was, I was in regular, in acting class regularly and doing that, you know, once or twice a week. Um, so you're 25, 26. Yeah. And I had, um, coincidentally had started dating my husband a year and a half after moving to LA. And I guess about a year and a half into our relationship was when they made super bad. Uh-huh. And, um, was that right? No, no, I'm sorry. The first year that we were dating, they made it. And I happened to be on set when an actor dropped out for the next day. And the producer was like, do you want to play this part? And I was like, yeah, 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 I do. Yeah, I really do. And, um, and so luckily I'd had this little tiny part in a funny movie. And so then I, you know, occasionally would be led into audition for things. But for the most part was writing mm. and, you know, was trying to come up with an idea to sell or, you know, just create a sample that would help me get jobs or whatever. And I'd come up with this idea. Um, and I guess about five months after leaving my job, I sold it uh, to a production company and made enough money to keep on living. And and honestly, it took me a long time. I didn't even, because at the point when I met my husband, I was only really in class at that point, and I actually didn't even tell him, because he made a comment when we first met how he doesn't like to date actors, so I actually didn't even talk about that I acted for like the first like three months of our relationship. Oh, you kept that. And just like lean more into the writing, because at that point I wasn't even really taking any classes, I was taking writing classes, and um, was more focused on that, Just and I had a lot of insecurities, and still do about it, because it's, it's hard, you know, and it's a very judgmental area. Mm. Um, what are the insecurities? Am I good enough? Do people like me? Do they, when they look at me, do they think I'm a bad actor? Do they think I'm just, you know, doing the wrong thing? Like, was that real? You know, all, all the normal things. I'm trying to think. No, I don't think so. No. <laughs> well, I'm uh-huh. looking at you right now, and I didn't think uh, you're a bad actor. Oh, thank you. <laughs> but I also wasn't thinking about that question until yeah. you said it to yourself. Yeah. yeah. But I think, and well, I can't speak for other actors, but I think that, well, any artist, whether you're an actor, writer, director, visual artist, etc. I think we all, you know, when you put yourself out there personally, it's scary. Right. And even the most confident person, I don't, th- I, I, well, I don't know, but I certainly can never be like, I fully believe in myself. It's just, <laughs> I don't know who is like that. Not me. Is that, is that the goal? I don't know. Not, I, I don't, it's not the goal for me because certainly I know it's not achievable at this point. Do you think it's not <laughs> so. achievable? I think part of what keeps artists going is that desire to work harder and be better and tell a better story or, you know, sort of explain a a stronger emotion or, Mm. you know, to constantly be working toward getting that. And I don't know, for me at least, if I felt a fully, you know, satisfied creatively, I I don't know, because I've never felt it. I've always felt the urge to keep going, keep pushing, get better, work harder. Um, it can always be better. How much of that is the gymnast mentality? Probably a large part of it. Um, I had a therapist early on who was one day, she was like, oh, oh, I get it. Oh, now I get it. You were a gymnast. You're constantly striving for a completely unobtainable perfection. You want a 10 and that's not achievable. But a gymnast will constantly work for it, even though they know it's essentially not possible. Mm. And I don't know if that's something that's ingrained in me, but I think that's what keeps me going. Right. I, then I guess the question is, is that okay? I think it is. I, I, I think within balance. I think, you know, through a lot of work on myself and through a lot of good therapy, honestly, and, and, and great friendships and getting positive feedback for my work over the years, it, it becomes a balance. But I, I don't want to ever lose that desire to work harder or do better or, you know, be a stronger artist. I, I don't ever want to lose that. Did people in the beginning when you're working, and, and I feel like the work ethic has been the same, you know, this is a strange place to live. Mm-hmm. I was thinking, were people ever intimidated by you? I don't know. By like Ma- your ambition maybe. of it all. My, uh, one of my best girlfriends, um, we met in high school, but um, she always talks about when we first met in ninth grade, she didn't like me for a year because... <laughs> She thought I was snobby. Yeah. And I think that's that, all my friends. I think that that's how they tell the story to everyone. I didn't like him in the beginning. And I was like, Jesus, these I, people who are closest to me didn't like me yeah. in the beginning. Isn't that weird? It's not good. Why do you think they felt that way about you? Be- for the same reason. I, yeah. you know, I'm a complete pain in the ass and, and stubborn <laughs> and uh, 
arrogant and, yeah. and all of that. Yeah, I think it's... I just wish they stopped saying that. I think, you know, I think I had a focus of just sort of a, I'm going to do this yeah. stuff. And that, you know, maybe, you know, young people didn't. I don't, I don't think, I hope people don't feel that way anymore. I don't know. <laughs> That was the most uh, vulnerable you've been <laughs> in the last 25 minutes. I hope they don't. That was a sincere hope that you, Thank that you. don't. Thank you. I really hope they don't. <laughs> Are you worried that they do? Sure. I'm a human. <laughs> <laughs> I think, um, for me at least, and I'm just talking about me, probably a little bit. I yeah. Mean, it's hard to get over that. It is. Although as I get older, I do care a little bit less. Okay. A little bit less. This is, this is a note for myself. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Okay. yeah. I'm older, care less. Yeah. yeah. People always say that, but I'm like, do you really? I know. I had always heard that. And then honestly, in this past year, and perhaps it's because I've been so focused, I haven't had time to think about all the other <laughs> shit. But like, I literally like uh, like a month ago was like, oh, I, I think I might care a little bit less what people think. I'm not saying I don't care at all, because certainly I do. Right. But... I think it's part of like getting older and also feeling more confident in myself and, and, you know, having now directed a movie, having done sort of one of my largest life goals has given me, you know, a, a more comfort with myself and where I am. Did it feel like when you made for a good time call that you had in whatever sense, like made it? For a good time, call was such a wild, wild experience. Um, well, now we're far enough removed that we can talk about it. Yeah, and, and now that you have like retrospect, yeah, on it. it um, you know, I had written the script with a partner, uh, with a friend of mine, and um, and we had set it up at a production company, and I was not going to act in it, and we were just going to try to sell it and get it made with big name actors, and. It was like going down a path and we were going to some people and like no one really bit and whatever. And then one day I was um, traveling on a press tour with my husband who was working and I call it my lost in translation moment because I was like in a hotel room in a foreign country having this sort of what am I doing with myself moment Great. Um, and was like, what am I doing? Yeah. Like I wrote this script. The character's name is Lauren. Like it's based on me. Like why don't I just make this movie? And literally in that moment, I like emailed my partner, I emailed our agents, was like, hey, we're going to take it away from this production company, who were lovely, by the way, and we're going to make it on our own. And my brother, who works in finance, had always been like, I can find a little bit of money for you to make a movie. And I was like, okay. And so we set off on this journey to make it on our own, which was a crazy wild ride and got, you know, just some really wonderful people to work on it. And Jamie Travis, our director, was so great. And, and Ari Grainer, who acted in it with me, was a dream come true. And, but we did it so fast. We shot it in 16 days, which was insane. Yeah. And, you know, and then literally three months after we finished shooting it, it was at Sundance and it was just such a fast, wild experience and very overwhelming. And I felt a lot of in insecurity about it. Just being about out the there, performance, about the performance, about, about all of it, honestly, because it was the first time I'd put myself out there in such a, such a big way and it was really scary. Um, and I, I honestly can't even pinpoint why, except that I just had this fear of great rejection and that everyone wouldn't like it. Mm. Um, that, you know, when I think about it now, it was just such a crazy time. But yeah, but luckily, you know, people seem to, to still like it and it's got a warm place in some people's hearts. I like the lost in translation moment. Yeah. Um, I actually think... It's more interesting if it's a woman in the Lost in Translation role. Mm -hmm. Though Bill Murray was great. It, very great. Did Did you feel that if you didn't act in it, that you didn't do it yourself, that the movie would just take it longer and longer and longer, and then maybe it just wouldn't even happen? It was more about me. It was more about like, this is my chance. Like, this is what I'm talking about all the time. I want to do something for myself. I want to make something. I want to, I want to show people that I can do this, this thing that it seems like no one thinks that I can do. Mm. And it was more about proving to myself and I think the world around me who probably didn't care, but just proving that I could do it. <laughs> what, what, what world around you didn't care? I mean, I just mean like, I don't think anyone was thinking, well, Lauren can't do this because people don't think about other people that <laughs> right. way. You know what I mean? No, I'm saying they didn't care. It was just like, that's I, I, not their I, place. It's crazy how often those things are imagined mm -hmm. by us. Oh, totally. Like, 
I think are people don't have time to like. No, no one cares what I'm doing. They, like, they, they barely believe that they can do the things they're doing. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's so sad, and yet <laughs> it's a complete hang-up for uh, all of us. Yeah. Because um, to create something is not only takes a lot of time, but it is so personal. Yeah. And a rejection of that, you know, it's like the acting thing. Mm-hmm. It's a rejection of of me. Yeah. And that feels. Uh, feels bad. I mean, it feels bad. It feels really bad. Do you ever wonder, like, why the hell like, uh, people want to make movies? Yeah, because it's so hard. <laughs> it's so hard. But I think that when it's not hard, when you're on set yeah. and it's working and your script is written and your actors are doing it and your crew is doing what they're good at, it's worth it. Yeah. It's worth all that struggle and all that rejection and all that pain of people saying no to get to that because that high is yeah best a, kind of high the best kind of high yeah that that's true that's a good response yeah i like that you're more positive than i am yeah and i'm like the younger person in this conversation i mean a year ago i wouldn't have given you that answer but, oh really <laughs> but well that's good that's encouraging yeah, isn't yeah, it yeah but um but now that i've been through it well and now that i know that like the all the I mean, it was not easy to get this movie. No, no movie is easy to get made. But we had a lot of struggles in this movie. And, you know, it very, came very close to not happening. And I had some very dark moments. This is like Father. This is like Father, yeah. What, 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 is, what, is, uh, what are some of the harder moments? <sighs> so many of them. I mean, getting cast was difficult. Um, we had an actor drop out three weeks before we were supposed to start production, which killed the movie. Um, and nearly killed me. Um, and um, How do you respond to something like that? I mean, I didn't to the person who dropped out. Right. Um, but, um, and then my response was, I literally like was in physical pain. I like threw my neck out and couldn't move my neck for a week. And I mean, it really, it, it defeated me in a very dark way. Hmm. However... Whatever it is inside me was like, but no, we have to keep going. We have to keep pushing. We have to push harder. We can do this. We can do this. We can do this. And then we did. Um, you know, and before cast, it was getting people to read it, getting studios to read it, getting production companies to read it, like, mm. you know, getting someone to get behind to finance it, like, was nearly impossible, you know? Mm. Yeah. It's, it's you know, I think there will be some people who hear this and and... There's an obvious thing, which is like, well, your husband is doing so well. Right. And uh, I am I'm curious, uh, less in him and more about like, how do you grapple with that? With like the fact that your husband is doing incredibly well. Right. But you also, independent of him, very independent of him, mm-hmm. want to make your own stuff. Yeah. It's been an interesting journey. Honestly, we... Um our first date was the week after they wrapped 40-Year-Old Virgin. So that movie hadn't even come out yet. And it was so early on that, like, I didn't, I didn't even, we didn't text. Like, it was before texting. Like, I didn't <laughs> Google him. You know what I mean? Like, and I'd seen, I'd seen, like, some episodes of Freaks and Geeks. So I, like, kind of, you know, he was, like, an actor that was on a canceled TV show. It was even, like, before it was cool again, <laughs> right. kind of. And so, um, you know, but then I would say, I think it was three or four months after we started dating, 40-Year-Old Virgin had come out. And, um, and so shortly after that, things started to pick up for him and he would get scripts sent to him. And this was when they would uh, arrive on your doorstep at the end of the day from a messenger. Mm. Um, and so I would come home from work to his apartment and they would just be sitting there and he wouldn't read them. And I remember early on, I got really frustrated because I was like, I'm answering the phone and getting lunch all day and you're getting scripts that you're not even reading. Right. And we had to have this moment of like, this is how you do things and this is how I do things. And... And then... What does that mean? Meaning that, like, that's his process. And, like, I don't need to be frustrated if he doesn't go after every opportunity that comes his way just because I wish that I had those opportunities. Mm-hmm. And it was a hard... It was a hard thing to overcome, but I but I did because I just realized that's his process, not mine. And his career was going to be his career. And honestly, it's been an amazing example for me to learn from, and I feel very lucky to have had a front row seat to it. Because I don't know anyone that works harder than my husband. And he 
is so smart and he is just so naturally gifted to know his own voice and what is right for him. And that's what's been in the incredible lesson to learn is that like he knows when something won't be authentic to him. Mm. And I feel like I've gotten to watch that process and have learned from it. And I never, after we sort of had that talk, I sort of never felt that way again because I've never seen anyone work harder than him. Mm. I really haven't. And like everything, it's just, I feel like I've learned so much. And there are people who are like, well, couldn't your husband, like when I had for a good time call, they're like, well, what does your husband help you set it up? Right. And I literally would be really insulted by that. And like, I, I literally was like grossed out when people would say that to me, like, ew, you think I need my husband to make calls for me? Like, thanks a lot. Like, yeah. you think I'm not worth it? You think that the script I've written is not worth it, that I need him? And I think that's a symptom of, you know, people, of, of, of things historically in this industry or any industry. Um, but it's also, I mean, imagine the flip side of it. Say like you had the career of Seth mm-hmm. and he had your career. Mm-hmm. I don't think he would be, you know, he would go out and then his friends would say, no. why doesn't your wife just make calls for you? No. no. Uh, I think it's, it, it's very much about gender in this case. A hundred percent. And then at the same time, if he did make those calls for me, those people wouldn't respect me. Right. You know, and, and they being... may begrudgingly do it. Exactly. But and so it'll always be under the pretense of exactly, and I never, I really tried really hard to make sure to not put myself in that situation, and to never open myself up as much as I possibly could to those comments, just because I was very sensitive to it. And yet, there is another part which is like, he is your partner, and we do ask our partners for help. Exactly, like, anyone who's ever been in love with anyone. Uh, it's like, hey, yeah. you're, we're doing this because like, you can help me and I can help you. Right. And also, it would be fun to do together. Right. Yeah. So, how do, you ma- how do you navigate that sort of like, I do want your help on this, right. but I also need to do this on my own? I think it's picking and choosing how to ask for help. You know, with For a Good Time Call, as, as an example, once we sort of had the idea, there are these like, you know, a uh, few uh, phone sex calls throughout the movie. And once we sort of had the idea to make those cameos, and to cast funny comedians, of course, I was like, would you do it? And the thing is, he'll say no if it's not funny enough. Mm. And if I can create a case that is that is funny, and he thought it was funny. Right. And so he said yes. You know, And it's just one of those things where like, but I never help, asked him to help me set it up or I never, never, never sent one of my scripts to anyone like, you know, because that doesn't, that's not true to who I am. Wouldn't feel right. Have you felt... A lot of people writing you off as someone who's the partner of someone doing great? A hundred percent, yes. I mean, I often have said that I, you know, when we go out, I feel like the shadow who stands next to him. Right. And, you know, there have been many times where, you know, we'll go out two nights in a row and we'll hang out with someone for 20 minutes one night and then the next night I'll see them and say hello and they have no idea who I am because all they've done is look at my husband or... Like even a simple example, like our coffee shop. If I go there by myself, they don't know me. Really? Because they're so focused on him. But it is what it is. Yeah, but how, what does that do for your spirit? Uh, no, I don't care at this point, honestly. Maybe early on it would have mattered. But like at this point, it is it is what it is. There's so many more benefits to you know, so many nice things that come along with his very fortunate success that, of course, that those things, I, it's, it's not hard to not focus on it, you know, even I, if it exists. I, you know, it's funny because this, this scenario you're ex- explaining, mm-hmm. you know, the details are very specific to you, mm-hmm. but it's not uncommon mm-hmm. for people of any, you know, it's like, I, I, I'm thinking just about my own parents and I'd seen it in social settings where, you know, my dad was like the focus mm-hmm. and my mother would go out and she would come home and they'd be fighting and they say, you know, mm-hmm. no one said a goddamn thing to me. Mm-hmm. So it's not like specific. It's not just like Hollywood stuff. No, it, it, not it, at all. It's like dynamics. No. And, and you know, and I, I understand it a bit and, you know, you go to these Hollywood parties and the truth is it's full of insecure people, just yeah. as insecure as, as me and, and my husband and everyone's just trying to fit in. And it's taken me a long time to sort of 
grapple with that and understand it, that everyone just wants to feel comfortable at a crazy party. Mm. Um, well, because, you know, th- those parties, you know, the, when I first moved here, I was like, oh, I got to do that. I got to try. And, and then, then mm-hmm. you do that. And then you're like, oh, Jesus oh, Christ. Mm-hmm. These are actually uh, the most painful things. It's so painful. Because it's a bunch of very insecure people mm-hmm. who are probably weird and uh, like upset with themselves about mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. All like projecting mm-hmm. uh, things onto you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on top of it, like there are drugs involved. So then it's like, Jesus, <laughs> do we know the state of mind of, any, of anyone? Yeah. And it's very rarely about the person you're with. But mm-hmm. I, I'm gonna I'll be honest. When you describe that scenario of like I talked to someone for twenty minutes mm-hmm. and then I see them and I'm like I I have a good memory mm-hmm. but I'm sure I have forgotten people mm-hmm. because also in that twenty minutes I'm like anxious. Right. And I'm like, oh God, does this person hate me? Right. I'm not thinking like I'm gonna see them tomorrow, so let me like retain all this information. Right. So I guess my point is, uh, it's difficult. Yeah. I think the the thing is that it's, and again, this probably all comes with age and just sort of where I'm at currently is sort of recognizing that everyone sort of has shit and no one, I don't know anyone who a hundred percent has it together, you know, and constantly reminding myself of like, oh, I feel uncomfortable. So does everyone else here. Mm. And we're kind of trying our best and- you know, I'm going to go home and think of everything I said wrong. But you know what? So is probably, you know, are the you majority still, Are you still doing that? Yeah. Don't you do that? I'm working on <laughs> blocking those statements out. I mean, I... Unless there's something work. like deeply, like terrible. Right. Right. I've said like something where I'm like, oh God, was that like almost racist? Right. <laughs> Jesus Christ. God, I hope they were drunk uh, enough to forget that. That's so funny. <laughs> Hey, look, this is a show where we're trying to be honest uh, we're here. We're being honest here. I just admitted that I've... You've, you've said almost racist things. Yeah, let's be honest. It was racist. It was racist. It was not almost. It was totally it was I totally added the racist. almost because I was like... Completely racist. Maybe you'll like me more if it was almost. <laughs> uh, There's Trevor. Yeah. There's person. <laughs> no, I just... It's a, it's a, it's a minefield. Um, I was, was going to ask you, do you take that stuff personally? You know, when you're going into a coffee shop mm-hmm. and they're like, we've seen you here a hundred times, mm-hmm. more than that. Mm-hmm. We don't know you. Mm-hmm. Does that bother you? I mean, clearly it does because it's, you know. You're mentioning on a podcast. Exactly. You know, <laughs> can I say that it's something I think about often if you hadn't asked the question? Not really. Okay. Um, but but it's there. You know, it's certainly there. and And it's something that you know, in time as, you know, as my husband has grown in, you know, his, and how recognizable he is over the years, Whatever it's, it is, it's, grow, yeah, it's, it's grown, it's changed and it's, you know, and it, it ebbs and flows a little bit, I'd say, in how much I care about it, um, you know, and, and it's there, but I, you know, at this point, who knows, maybe if it'll change, but at this point, it's sort of just, it's there and it is what it is, you know, mm. it is what it is. It's part of it. What does your family think about about that dynamic about your career now all of it? I mean, my my family's very gosh, I, my family's so many things. It's hard to like say one thing. They're great. They they there was there was an honest thing I think you were going to say. Well, I know I I was going to say they're they're practical. Okay. They're very practical. Give like, me some give me some practical tidbits from them. Well, like as an example, my mom was very strong on there's no future in acting, be a fashion designer, <laughs> which I know is an outrageous <laughs> statement. And I don't know why she thought being a fashion designer fashion is practical. Fashion is stable. Very Lauren. stable. It's the most stable industry. <laughs> Haven't you heard that? I have actually, um, just now for the first time. <laughs> um, so there, you know, I think, you know, in some of my extended family and, you know, I think there's a sort of a conception of, oh, Lauren doesn't work because I don't have a traditional job that I go to every day ah. and that we don't live in the real world because we have some of these extraordinary experiences. Um, can't imagine you like that. Um, but my dad, I've just kind of touched on before, was a dreamer. 
and he never felt a lot of career satisfaction. And therefore, he instilled in both me and my brother to have big dreams and to go for them and that we could do whatever we wanted. So for my dad, he would say none of this is a surprise and that he saw all of this coming, um, whether he actually did or not, I don't know. But, um, But that he, you know, believed in anything that I or my brother honestly wanted to do. And so for him, this is, you know, he'll say it's very natural. I don't, I don't know if that's true or not, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, so it's, it's been an experience and, you know, my dad is a huge movie buff. It's the reason why I was into movies. And so for him, it's been amazing and, and, and he lives out here now and, um, it's for him, it's exciting and, and great. And he loves to sort of have a window into this world. Mm. You know, uh, I have read, uh, up on your mother a little mm-hmm. bit. Do you remember when you heard the news about her illness? Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a progression. So it wasn't just, you know, one day we got a phone call and yeah. this is, your your mom has been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. It's not how it went. You know, it was my, my grandparents had, my my grandfather was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. My grandmother was, her diagnosis was always mixed up between Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and general dementia. Um and so when my mom started showing symptoms, which I first noticed at my college graduation. What happened I, at college graduation? She was repeating a story. And I don't even remember what the story was at this point, but she just told us the same story a few times. You remember that very clearly. Very clearly. And, um, and it was just sort of like weight that entered my body. Uh, and, on, but I didn't say anything to anyone, right. obviously. It's interesting that it happens on uh, a day of celebration. Mm -hmm. I know. I wonder if it had happened another day if I would have remembered it. No. Probably not. No. It's because there's a high of something of like, I worked two and a half years, I think Mm -hmm. it was, right, Mm -hmm. at at Florida State. Mm -hmm. And then receiving this news that like Mm -hmm. only you in that moment Mm -hmm. are processing. Yeah. It seems vivid yeah. e- even now. I mean, yeah. we're yeah. how many years removed from that? I mean, yeah, 14. 14 years. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, so then, you know, over the next year or two, you know, it started happening more and there were more signs of something wrong in her brain. Um, and, um, and then eventually, I guess three years after that, we, you know, sort of my dad had taken her a few places and then eventually went to a neurologist and got this diagnosis. Um, and I, we weren't surprised. I think it just sort of confirmed what we were all very afraid of, um, you know, and it, I wasn't prepared for it, even though we'd sort of been thinking it was coming and certainly wasn't prepared for what would come after, which was a lot of darkness and devastation and hopelessness and anger and depression and guilt and all those dark, dark feelings of just utter hopelessness about her, about me, about the world. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, it was really hard. It was a hard time. It was a hard time those first few years. You felt like there was no way to move forward. I felt like, what was the point? Like, if this was going to happen to her and this could happen to such a wonderful, amazing, perfect person, which I felt like my mom was, you know, what's the point? Like, how terrible? Like, this is the world. This is what she gets. This is so unfair. And really had a hard time reconciling with how do I live my life while this is happening to someone that I love so tremendously. Right. Um, and it was really hard um, to watch her go through it, to watch my dad go through it. And then, you know, eventually got a great therapist who helped me gain a perspective on it and started talking about it. And, you know, for the first while, didn't tell anyone about it. My mom didn't want us to tell anyone about it. Uh, she was embarrassed. Um, she was embarrassed. She was very embarrassed. She was very ashamed that she had this disease that was going to take her brain away from her. Um, she didn't want people to feel sorry for her. She didn't want it to change our lives. She made it very clear I was not to move home to Florida to take care of her. Um, she did not want that. Um 
she didn't, I think she, she was a really strong, independent, just a, a fighter in every way, you know, and this thing was going to happen to her that she would, was not going to be able to fight. And I think it was hard for all of us to reconcile with that for a long time. So what's the perspective you get that allows you to move forward? Um, I think the work that I have done in therapy is that, um, and you had sort of touched on it before, which was, this can be my mom's journey over here on this side, which is horrible and terrible and the worst thing ever. But that doesn't mean that over here, there can also be good things. And sort of what I came to learn was that my life has high highs and low lows, just like everyone's life. Mm. And that just because this horrific thing was taking my mom away from me piece by piece in a very painful way, it doesn't mean I couldn't also find hope and I couldn't use my voice to talk about Alzheimer's and I, that I couldn't be rallying people together to raise money. And it doesn't mean that I can't be creating change and that from something really horrible, something beautiful has come. And it took me a long time to understand that there was room for that. Right. I, a dear friend of mine, um, has done a lot of Tony Robbins work in her life. And she would always tell me like, no, there, there's a light in here that you have to find it. Like it's not all darkness. And I can remember this one conversation with her where I was just like, no, I no, there's no good here. I don't understand how there could be any good from this. This is horrible. When was this? I mean, at this point that was probably seven years ago. I don't, I don't, I don't know if we'd started Hilarity for Charity at that point. Because mm. um, shortly after we started Hilarity for Charity, I was like, oh, this is what she was talking about. Right. There can be good that comes from bad. And everyone has shit, like I said. You know, everyone deals with their own version of devastation, mm. whatever it may be. A lot of people have it much worse than I do. Um, and if we're going to choose to live life. We have to accept that there can be shit here and good here mm. and they can coexist together. And, you know, sometimes we have to go over here and live in the sadness and then we can go over here and live in the good things. And that's how, that's how the world keeps going. What place are you mostly in these days? Mostly I'm in a positive place, which is weird because a few years ago, I would have never believed me if I'd said that. I really wouldn't have. Like, I mean, really, like I had some major anger problems for a long time. Really? Oh, yeah. What were the anger? Oh, my God. I was just angry at everything. I Would thought, you like hit a garbage can or? Um, no, I've, I mean, I still have road rage, but the road rage was really bad back then. Oh. Um, it was funny. I was talking to my best friend on the drive over here and. I said something about someone who stopped on the side of the road. She was like, oh, there you are. <laughs> and, um, but um, I no, sensed I had a, when you walked in that there was some rage. Whenever I get out of the car, no. I have to be like, um, but um, no, it's, it was, I had a, just a very negative attitude about the world. I just thought everyone was just like, everyone's stupid. No one knows what they're doing. Everyone's dumb. Everyone's just wandering around without any purpose. No one's doing anything, were which you is so not true. Were you included in that? Of course not. I'm the only one who's doing everything right. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> now we're getting to the heart of this. Um, Good. But, um, you know, I just, I had a real, I had a real, like, what's the point of all of it attitude mm. of like. What's the point in, in keep, you know, what's the point in doing Of trying, of, yeah. of trying to find a positive because there isn't, because all that's going to happen is we're going to just get sick and die. And, you know, that was a really sad place to live for a long time. And, you know, through, honestly, like through an amazing therapist, I got to the other side of that. Mm. Maybe that is the point. Well, she would often say, what if the point is how we affect each other, how we affect each other's experiences? Mm. And that really resonated with me of like, maybe there isn't a, a, a large point of it all. Maybe we're not all working toward this big thing and we're here just to affect each other every day, to have an interesting conversation and make someone feel good or, or make them honestly feel bad so that they can learn something. Yeah. You know? I feel awful right now. You feel awful. I'm so glad. See, but this was my point, to make you feel awful. <laughs> um, what about I actually was saying that? I was like, I'm, I'm in an awful place. But see, I don't care as much these days. So I'd be like, oh, that's, that's your journey. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, this has been lovely. 
That's been good. I feel yeah. I feel that um you know not enough public conversations sound like the things you're saying. Yeah. Which is weird because uh conversations you have like with uh, a person mm-hmm. are often about this. Yeah. Are often about trying to figure out how to move forward mm-hmm. even when things around us seem uh mm-hmm. impossible. Bleak. Mhm. It's hard. It's really hard. And I think that there seems to be a lot of sadness in the world these days. But the truth is, there always has been. Right. And does it seem especially bad right now? It's hard to say. I mean, you know, I wasn't alive during the Vietnam War. I feel like that was probably a pretty rough time, you know? And I think that I'm sure it ebbs and flows a little bit. You know, when you think about history, I think that. Um, I think the statement two steps forward, one step back is pretty accurate, probably. Mm. Um, personally, I have a lot of, you know, fears and sadness about the current state of things in this country. What are you talking about? <laughs> things are wonderful. <laughs> um, you know, but I I can't let go of hope that this is a step back and hopefully we'll get well soon we'll get to take two more steps forward. I yeah. Ho- I hope. Please, God, I hope. I mean, uh, <laughs> oh, or at God. least just like slight steps forward. It's just He's, anything at this point. Anything, I'll take it. I'll anything. take it. I'll take it. You know, there's, um, you know, the obvious thing to ask you about, and I, and I don't really care to, but I'm, I'm going to bring it up lightly, is, uh, you know, as someone who is directing mm-hmm. um, and writing mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and you're a woman, those are still, you're an anomaly, Right, totally. you know, it's not common. Mm-hmm. Um, it's becoming more common, but n- not nearly quickly enough. Mm-hmm. What have you made of the last year and a half? That that's more a larger question of like it's crazy. Yeah, this is let's just talk about this as like people. I know. W- what do you make of all of this? The Me Too movement, the ho- <laughs> like it's so crazy because we also live here. Yeah. How I'm, do you feel about I'm it? I'm trying to make sense of it still, okay. honestly. Um, as someone who was trying to make this movie before this started um, and was very much an anomaly before, you know, getting the yes to say this, and to, to making this movie. And now, I mean, in the past six months, like being a female director, I suddenly am like, well, I'm kind of cool right now because <laughs> there's all of us female directors and maybe I'm not so special anymore, which I don't mind. It's awesome. But it's changing and we're in the middle of this change I don't I don't know I honestly I'm, I'm still sort of waiting to gain a perspective on it I'm excited I'm excited that women are being considered for big projects that are doing big projects aren't just being considered that are you know making Wonder Woman and are you know doing huge movies that women would have never really had the opportunity to do before mm. perhaps and um, I'm excited but I certainly felt it the opposite and the sort of you know no one considered my movie a few years ago because right. of because of my gender. I was going to ask you, how were the meetings like when you were meeting to make this movie? Mm-hmm. What were they like a couple of years ago, two, three years ago? Um, I mean, meetings are hard because people can say whatever they want in a meeting. And, right. you know, they'll never, I don't think you can sit across the room from someone and they're like, well, we'll never make your movie. Because yeah. no one's honest like that. Um, it's always, it's often a lot of false hope or, or, you know, just a lot of blowing smoke, which is the script is great, but we need great cast. And, you know, if you bring us this movie star, we'll make your movie. And it's like, well, I need you to help me get the movie star. (laughs) Like, don't, who, I can't get this person. Um, and so there was a lot of like, it's just a lot of talk, a lot of like, love your script. No, no, we're not going to do it. Oh, (laughs) but we love it. It's great. But we're not, sorry, we're not doing that. Um, but honestly, even just getting people to read it was yeah. hard. At, and now I feel like perhaps it would be a l- this little tiny bit easier. Not mm. much. The love your script, we're not going to do it is like a, a mantra here. I mean, I, it just, I mean, on For Good Time Call, I mean, Jesus, we went on, I think we went on over 50 meetings with people who, by the way, this was, we went on, it came out, I think it was like four months before Bridesmaids had come out. Uh. And um, was when we did our tour, I like to call it, of meeting everyone who loved the script but weren't going to make it. The rejection tour? The rejection tour. Um, and, um, I mean, everyone was like, oh, R-rated female comedies. It's not. And I had seen early screening of Bridesmaids. 
and was like, you don't know, there's this movie, it's going to change everything. And they're like, no, no, women don't talk like that. Like we had one woman who was like, women aren't dirty like that. A woman said that to us. Really? And we were like, oh my God. Has she met other women? I don't know. I don't know. I just remember she wore very bad khaki pants. And um, (laughs) and I was just like, I can't believe that meeting we just had. And, you know, but, but it goes back to like, just sort of not, you know, trying really hard to not get bogged down with that and believing and keeping, you know, continuing to push. Yeah. I, I guess, is it better that a woman said that instead of a man? Probably. I mean, at the time, everyone was re- rejecting us, so it didn't, it, didn't feel, uh, it didn't feel like one sex was rejecting us more <laughs> than the other, because everyone was. <laughs> it was just like universal. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, I've been, I've been fortunate that I, I haven't experienced a lot of it directly, the sexism, but in the sort of underlying of, you know, people just like sending the script and knowing that they never actually read it. Right. That's painful. Mm-hmm. That happened a lot. And now next steps after this movie coming out, it drops August 3rd. 3rd. Yep. I got it right. You got it right. That was impressive. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I like how supportive you are of me in this whole interview. I'm a very supportive person. <laughs> Has that always been true? I think so. Yeah. 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 I think I'm, I try to be, I, I very much, um, something I've been trying to change, but my parents are very like do unto others kind of attitude. Mm. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. It's better to be supportive than not supportive. Yeah. Especially as a director. Right. So. Which is like the one job you have. Yeah. It's to support everyone. Yeah. Make them feel good about what they're doing. So now that you've done that with this movie, Mm -hmm. what are next steps for you? My next step actually is hopefully to make the script that very first thing that I sold after quitting my oh. assistant job. Um, that's hopefully next up. That was like a decade ago. It was a decade ago. It was. And so that's sort of been around and I've rewritten it and rewritten it and rewritten it. It actually used to star men. Now it stars women. Oh. Um, which is my own sexism, I think, that way back when I came up with this idea, I was like, of course it should start dudes. Just dudes. And then three years ago, I was like, well, what am I doing? This movie wouldn't pass the Bechdel test. I can't yeah. do that. Yeah. Now that I've talked to you for an hour, <laughs> um, the Kristen Bell character, mm-hmm. not entirely dissimilar to you. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, is, is that off? mean she's focused and driven that's what i mean yeah um all the other parts is not what i'm talking about yeah i think it was really important it was interesting um the idea was pitched to me by anders bard who's the producer one of the producers of the movie and i was like oh i love it i'm in and then i sat down to write it and i was like oh this is so much more difficult than i thought it was because what i don't want to do is tell a story about a woman who gets left at the altar and is just looking for love Mm. That is not what I want. Right. And I thought that's what I wanted originally. And I started writing it and I was like, ew. Yeah. Gross. And um, well, so, because then it's like, the answer is another guy. Which is so sad. Like, it shouldn't be. Which is like a thousand other movies. Exactly. And so, but I think in a way it's hard to accept. Um, even just, you know, the response to the trailer, people have been calling it a romantic comedy. Right. And it's not. Um, it's a dramedy and, and I, you know, I don't want to give much away, but the love that she finds is not romantic, Mm. you know, and I think that's almost hard for people to accept in a movie, even if there are per se romantic aspects of the story, it is not a romantic comedy in the general sense. And that's an interesting thing to see how people have been sort of digesting that. Yeah. I mean, you shot it last summer. Mm Mm-hmm. That's 13 years after college. Yeah. <laughs> you know, day one of set, like, how? Well, what is your headspace like? I mean, the week leading up to it, I was in, <laughs> I was in a place of like, this is happening. All right, I guess, I guess this is happening. Oh my God. It's just, you know, it's like the, it, the train has left the station. You know what I mean? It's not stopping. And like, I went away the weekend before just to like get out of New York and sort of like be in the country and quiet and sort of go over my shot list and sort of like go over everything. And I just the whole weekend was like, this is happening. Oh my God, this is <laughs> happen. And then I don't know it was the first day, it couldn't be the first day or the second day, but just like I, I was so lucky and I had an unbelievable DP 
and a great AD who was very supportive of me and great actors who were, did not bring their egos with them and were just willing to play and be supportive and be kind and like, you know, and like our movie hit a fucking hurricane two weeks into shooting, three weeks into shooting when we were supposed to get on a cruise ship and we all hung out in, in Orlando at a Disney hotel for six nights because we were derailed. And like, uh, you know, I feel like I could have lost my shit during that time yeah. being like, is this going to happen? Are we going to get shut down? Because that was the question. Are we going to get shut down? Like, are we going to get to finish making this movie? And how did you not lose your shit? I don't know. I was just talking to the producer about it the other day. We were like reminiscing and I was like, I don't know how I kept my cool during that time. I just, I just did. Cause honestly, it, it was kind of like when I got to film school, it was like, oh, this is me. I, this feels right. And even if we're sitting in Orlando for six nights, trapped in a hotel, it's going to happen. It's got to happen. Mm. I just, maybe it was naive, but it did. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. That is uh, impressive. I think a lot of people would have gone mad in that time. Yeah. I don't know. I, like I said, I think I, I went through so much over the past few years of like deep darkness that like it didn't compare to that. Yeah. I was thinking, you know, what do you think it is inside of you that allows you to keep moving forward? Because you have this movie, you know, uh, that you've been wanting to make and you've been wanting to direct for probably even more than 13 Mm -hmm. years. And uh, you have, you know, your mother who's very sick in a way that uh, I think would push a lot of people down. Mm -hmm. And you've had all these things that you've, you've seemed to uh, work through. Mm -hmm. What do you think it is about you that has allowed you to even do that? Time. I think that time and and honestly, I mentioned her so many times, but I I have a great therapist. I've worked really hard at it. Mm. I've, I've, I've really worked really hard like personally and emotionally speaking. Um, you know, I think I've, I've just through the, the work and the therapy and the medication and, you know, just, and, and meditation and just a lot of hard, personal, deep work of realizing that I have been through this and it was horrible but yet I'm surviving and, you know, and I'm getting through it and this is terrible, but I will get through it because, because time passes. Mm. It just does. And I'll get through it. And then it's also like, what's the alternative? Exactly. What is the alternative? Like, I don't want to take that alternative. Like might as well just keep pushing, you know, and it's, and don't get me wrong. Like I will sit in it sometimes, sit in that dark shit, but like, I've built a a world where I, I don't do that anymore. And I have an amazing husband and an amazing dog who makes me happy and friends who know my story at this point, who give me beautiful support and, and hilarity for charity mm. has given me so much, so much hope that with shit can also come good stuff. Well, Lauren, uh, thank you for sharing your story on here. Thank you. Thank um, you for having me. This was good. I think this we was good. Did, did we cover a lot of ground? I feel like we covered a lot of ground. It started with my ankle and my dog, <laughs> and it ended up with uh, us getting into it. Yeah. Well, thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming on. <laughs> Special thanks this week to Rochelle at Independent LA. Without her, this episode would not have happened. If you're interested in Lauren's directorial debut, it's called Like Father, and it comes out on Netflix this Friday, August 3rd. 
find out more about Lauren and her new movie, you can do so at our show notes at www.talkeasypod.com. Also on the website is every episode we have done of this show, now 103. Um, if you have not checked out our latest episodes with Alan Alda and Rob Ryder and uh, my father, um, <laughs> you can do so on the website. I think those, uh, those turned out pretty well. I think people are liking those. If you like what you're hearing and want to support the show, please send the episode to a friend. Drop us a line on social media at TalkEasyPod on Twitter and Facebook, or give us a review on iTunes. If you want to write into the show about something you like, something you don't like, or just to say hello, you can do so at TalkEasyPod at gmail.com. As always, our show is executive produced by David Chen, graphics by Ian Jones, illustrations by Krishna Shenoy. Our new associate producer is Elliot Weintraub, and the show is produced by Dylan Peck. I'm Sam Fragoso. Thank you for listening to Talk Easy. I'll see you next week. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored amongst some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. If tonight's movie night is just what you need, make it special with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies.